Welcome to the Practice Podcast, conversations probing the nature of practice. I'm your host, Dave Firon. Well, if we were to put a headline on this conversation that I had with consultant Leslie Tracy, the headline would be why don't they listen? <laughs> no, it's totally unfair to her, but they are the people who are still at a place in their practice lives and careers where they could make a change, personally or collectively in an organization level change. Will they listen to our generation, Leslie and mine? We would like them to, because as you'll hear in this conversation, there's a lot of wisdom that she's imparting, as well as some very fresh insights to the generational differences that are existing now in our companies and organiza other organizations, and particularly focusing on the Zs, the Gen Zs, and how they're coming into the workplace now and workforce with a different life experience overall and some very different expectations for how they want to be managed and led. So why don't they listen to us? Well, maybe, as we said at the end of our conversation, even a few people listening to what we have to say could make a difference. And then that person or they can go out and make other differences. And pretty soon we've had some impact. So this is what it's about. Two people who've had long careers, successful careers, but still want to be heard, still want to have impact. This is Leslie Tracy. Yeah, so my, yeah, I started, well, big interest in psychology. Mm. And so I got an undergraduate and a master's in psychology, and I worked in a school for emotionally disturbed children. And um, I was in the D.C. area, and then I got divorced, and I kind of realized I needed to make money. Oh. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I went, uh, I, I, uh, I, I got a job with um, um, CSC, and they kind of were intrigued with my psychology background because it was the time of office automation and all these changes were coming, and gee, maybe she understands people. So I get involved in office automation and I really kind of love it. And there's, a, and I'm not a real technical person, but there, I always had this awe. I don't know. I kind of got it. I like technology. So mm -hmm. then I went back and got another master's at American University and I did consulting, most of it with a defense department. <laughs> and it was so interesting. Every time there was a new general or a new administration, we did the same study again. You know, because they had to have their own studies. It was interesting. <laughs> um, Nothing yeah, has so changed since the beginning know, of man. <laughs> and, you know, the requirements analysis, and it would be this mm -hmm. and that. So I got to know the Defense Department, and then I and then I um, thought, okay, I, I want to change, and that's when I went over to Marriott. So I spent um, several years at Marriott, and I started out in data security, and I moved into HR because I really my my gift, I think. I have a real strong understanding of people, oh, yeah. particularly, particularly in organizations. Yeah. So I end up in HR, 
and I and I like that, and that was good. And then I moved. I went to Accenture, Anderson, and I got involved in change management. So that's right. where I really landed change management. And there there was a lot of IT there, and a lot of change. Yes. But what I but I really picked up was I was in so many different organizations, big major ones. You know, a lot of the baby bells before the breakup, and um and uh, various places, and that's where I met Tom too, because I ended up at PwC. But I really saw a lot of miserable people. I uh-huh. Mean, uh-huh. Really, and I got involved in outsourcing at HP. Oh dear! So, so you know, <laughs> it really was a pretty, pretty sad state of affairs. Yeah. You know, when I looked at how, to me, the health of corporate America, the waste, and the 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 hurt. I mean, people really had a lot of issues and still do. Mm-hmm. So so to culminate and take all those factors from my history, and I'm I'm retired. So then I then I think, well, okay, I'm not going to stop. So I, it was 2019, right before COVID, bad timing, and I I did this uh, thing on recruiting and retention, and I mm. did all this research, and I thought, oh my gosh, this is all about Gen Z and millennials, you know, it was all this. That's right. That, that came up. So that that's where I got really interested. And what what captured me the most was how much they really want to change corporate life mm. or life work life. And you know, I've seen both sides of the coin. On one hand, just read Coddling and the American Mind. You know, on one hand, mm-hmm. there's kind of this, oh, these kids are impossible. They. they you know they they don't know anything they need they they need to be coddled right you know right and left and that that had a lot to do with the universities colleges but but then i see the other side where they're really diverse they really don't have a lot of the baggage that we've had i think that's so, hope <laughs> yeah yeah there's hope so so then i really drilled down mainly on gen z but I have all the generations because I'm seeing more and more. Like I'm hearing some local. I'm in Marblehead, Massachusetts, on okay. a local level. There's a lot of uh, we have retirees coming around there. Yeah, we got retired. Well, we got people that turned into retirees. Mm-hmm. We're getting quite top heavy. But you look at these volunteer situations, yeah. and I'm starting to see. Oh my gosh! Here we go. We got the baby boomer, autocratic. This is the way you do it. And you've got the millennial who's like super talented, ready to, you know, just knock them dead and getting madder and madder at the way this person's treating everybody. Mm-hmm. So, so it plays itself out over and over again. And that's where my interest lies. So I, I, I write articles and I keep doing research and I do some speaking locally. And usually people walk away with a big aha because if you look at the, influences when Gen Zers were born versus when boomers were born, how we were raised, what our expectations were. And I'm pretty much talking white collar here because, you know, from a business perspective, there really is a big difference. Yes. And people don't understand that. And and I also feel very strongly nobody's right or wrong. This is just what we are. Mm-hmm. So because some people really start doing these, <laughs> they're awful, you know, they're hopeless kind of viewpoint yeah. and um to me we're all great and wonderful but we really have big differences and the more people understand them the better we can do <laughs> so you have 
what's your views to uh, where we who teach uh, have to put our views right there with people sitting, hopefully not in rows anymore, but sitting in a room mm -hmm. uh, now on Zoom, but, you know, and where you've had people walk out feeling they have evolved their own thinking to some spark of something new there. So that is ultimately, Leslie, I think the test of how our ideas come through, because by the time we write them and edit, they're edited, and sometimes they don't go out for months, and, and you don't ever get that feedback. Oh. And, and so I think seeing the spark happen, I'm guessing, uh, you know, you have maybe a bit of a script there, but you can come off it and respond and and create something new in the room. Uh, my, my hunch is that that's one of the many reasons that you'll go back to the data and to the what people are writing and, and all the rest because you have seen it firsthand. Am I right? Yeah, exactly. I, and and I feel like what they are bringing, they being the Gen Zers and millennials to some extent, they might bring a really healthy perspective on work and a workforce that, that is valued. And, you know, the things that they ask for is what all human beings always want anyway. See me, appreciate me. Um, and it doesn't mean giving away the, you know, the store. Yeah. You have to have your limits, and it's a business. And I remember I used to say that, you know, as an HR person, yeah, you you want to make sure you keep people comfortable and you can give them what you want, and you have limits. You're not going to give away everything. Right. And they have to know it's a business. But And I really, you're, I'm interesting that you're um, a management professor because that's where I really focus. <laughs> I think the middle managers are the, there are very few good ones. And and they're the ones I've known, um, by and large, are pretty miserable because yeah. they are uh, twixt in tween. They mm -hmm. uh, middle manage up, manage down. You know the you know the words we've used over the years. Managing up used to be well. I'm really going to get to know Mister Big or Ms. Big. Well, these days, Mister or Ms. Big left, and someone's replaced them. It's sometimes six months in. So that mm -hmm. part of the relationship building is constantly in, in uh, interrupted. As you said, generals like to have their own um, whatever stamp on things. And so does Miss or Mr. Big. And so that changes. Now we've got the generations that they're supposed to represent in that conversation between the levels. And that generation is by and large changing much faster than ever before. Uh, the, 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 you know, I live in now in the land of steady habits, Connecticut, but I grew up in Maine. But in, in both instances, permanency, permanency was a given. If I'm starting to work a travelers company at 22, I'll be there when I get the big gold watch, you know, right. and I used to tell my students who I worked here in this working class part of Connecticut, who I wanted to work at Travelers, don't expect the watch. If you need a watch, get one now. 
and then get in there and make sure that every aperture of your learning mind is open all the time, as well as speak, because you, people don't know you, what you think until you tell them. And then if you get to stay there five years, that's a that's a, that's your equivalent of a master's degree. And if you get you know, and if you're really learning, and you get there for fifteen years. You've learned a great deal and that you can take somewhere, but recognize that at some point or another, particularly as you become a mental manager, uh, oh, we're going in a new direction. You know, oh, you know, the economy of two, 2008, nine, which Tom and I, Tom Casey and I talked about is like you're just threw those people out in droves. So, yeah, you're tuned into something that's very real and i think what peter vale who was my partner in this work said was change itself is changing right right and that's what you've seen in your career now did i hear you correctly you said you're retired yet i hear you working all the time <laughs> thinking speaking writing right. yeah <laughs> wait uh, a yeah, minute so, what did i miss <laughs> oh actually you're right i'm retired from the regular job yeah i got it and I, and I do it, I do some resumes too on the side, mm -hmm. and then that's another piece that's interesting because now one and a half. What, what this is the pattern I see, and and a lot of them are IT, but the pattern is they have you can see where someone's done maybe a good 10, 15, maybe 20 years, mm -hmm. uh, really strong employment, whether it's 10 years and 10 years, or you know, maybe 10 years and five. And then after that, it's two years, one year, two years. So yeah. it's almost like there's, and I feel like my career was a little bit like that. There's a peak area, a peak time, and then afterwards, it doesn't all fit as well. You know, for some reason, you're overqualified, not, well, maybe overqualified, but it doesn't fit quite as well. And you start moving. And then with today's environment, there's no, there's no, uh, disadvantage to moving around it's like okay this is the way the new reality is so then you see all these small but i think that i find that fascinating the it other is thing is I, I wrote an article on um middle managers and change and this always fascinated me because what you were describing you've got to go above and you go you know you go down and then when change comes that middle manager is stuck this is what you have to do whether they want to do it or not, um, they got to keep the lights on. They got to keep everybody moving in the right direction. And then on top of that, they have to institute this change. And they're never even brought in on the, the thinking, the planning. Right. They're just told they have to do it. So that's a whole nother piece. And then you're saying the change that's even happening, you can't even, you can't even recognize it. It's so, it's so fast and new. So that's another. But, but yeah, so that middle manager level has the biggest impact on people. That's why people leave, you know, their immediate manager, they don't like for whatever reason. Yeah, the Gallup studies reinforced that over the years. Yeah, and then I, I've collected some stories on how middle managers have really done the wrong thing. So that's that to me is the linchpin. What can we do about it then? Well, I started thinking about it. Okay, so th there's a lot on EQ and there's a lot on, on emotional intelligence. And I remember seeing really strong managers, sometimes they were women, who, who love their people. You know, now there's a plus and a minus to that because on one hand, 
They, they were so devoted to their people and their people were devoted to them, but then they never wanted to let the people go. You know, <laughs> they didn't want them to go to another department to get developed. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it kind of had a negative. But I kind of feel what I've seen is a lot of people get promoted into management because they're good at something. But it's usually not people. <laughs> they, they, you know, they are yeah, the, a great particularly the technical side, as you yeah. mentioned. Yeah, yeah, they're a great salesperson or they're a great this or a great that, but they're not really a great people person. So I sometimes think, why don't we just hire those people with EQ? I mean, get those people in the right positions for today's world. And I think they will have a better chance at creating the environment that's conducive for these young generations. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, um, it'll be uh, it, it'll be a while before the grip is loosened on uh, the resume of a up and coming person who has gotten things done in quotes. If about looking carefully at the fact that they were a lot of them were solo performers, uh, or they had a lot of acumen around the tools of the day. And uh, if they had a personality, that was a plus. Uh, and I'm exaggerating the point to agree with your point that the rethinking how we make the connections among the, and there will always be layers in hierarchy. It's not going to go away, particularly with global companies or even national companies. So if there's going to be hierarchy, uh, let's take a close look at the fact that 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 the it's on the boxes and the lines are actually in the boxes are actually human beings. Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And they're not Lego pieces. <laughs> exactly. Punk in and pull out that and that kind of mindset, that mechanistic mindset is just bugged the heck out of people like Tom, Casey, and me and now you and a bunch of people I've worked with because they 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 don't like the dehumanizing actually the irony of dehumanizing someone who's promoted into that middle level you know basically well all, that's all well and good but let's let's put someone in there who has a record of getting things done now the difference is getting things done through others which is one of the most basic definitions of managing that's I think is unshakable getting things done through others yeah. Yes. That is the challenge, and that's to the point you just made. Now we got a generation coming up who come up with a lot of sens sensibilities and sensitivities, and they are going to be the others through whom these managers must get things done. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. <laughs> the other thing is that Gen wow. Z and millennials really have, they have side hustles. Mm -hmm. Their ultimate goal is to be their own bosses. Independent. Yeah. yeah. I've seen so that. that that's going to be interesting in about yeah. 10 years. Yeah. Because how many can make that happen? And if they do, are they the ones that really, really do change the culture of a lot of, you know, successful businesses? Yeah, uh, I know. By creating them, or yeah, I would. You know, I, why don't these big corporations like a Marriott, you mentioned, and others? Why don't they just essentially create jobs opportunities with the span, so that people have a side hustle within the company? You know, so Joe, you you got enough energy 
uh, to do this particular function area. Okay, but we're going to let you pick any other place in the company where you'd like to spend uh, roughly the amount of time you would have spent trying to gin up your own business yeah. so that you become more um, versatile in the company as opposed to using the company to become more diversity out of the company. <laughs> now, the other factor, though, in that, aha, or oh, maybe, is that you have to not be that possessive manager you mentioned a moment ago who's saying, no, no, Joe's mine. Okay. <laughs> Joe, you know, you can't get have eight hours a week of, of Joe over there. Uh, and so there could be that. But if it becomes a company's perspective on human development, human resource development, that people should find plenty of room within the company for the kind of mobility. Now, they still are dependent on that paycheck from the company, but maybe the company's making enough money so they can afford to pay them well. And they don't need to look at uh, a side hustle as the um, stream of income they need to live a, any kind of a balanced life. What you do you think about that? Yeah, a really important point is Gen Z in particular, they are interested in financial stability. Sure. So the, those young people, if you give me the right place, I'll stay and I want the stability. I don't want to, you know, millennials have the bad rap of, you know, let's see what's next. Let's keep moving. Yeah. So that financial stability, and but but just give me the opportunity to learn different things, yeah. help develop me. So what you just described is a fabulous solution. The company could loosen its grip a little. Mm -hmm. um, and, and yeah, you could have a whole side hustle in terms of maybe a new product. <laughs> you could have a whole side hustle in a new um, business unit. You know, there are a lot of things. A lot of things. That they could really love. But it takes amazing leadership to do this. And that, you know, even... I, I think we don't have enough good leaders, period. And we don't, as as a as a, as a country. I mean, I don't know if you read about the um, the um, the extrovert versus the introvert. There have been some books out on introversion. Mm -hmm. They're the thoughtful ones. They're the this one. They're that. Mm -hmm. And how we don't we don't recognize that. We like the loud mouth. And yeah, we do. A whole other piece too. To um, you know, bring different people to, into big leader. You know, having big leaders being different kinds of personalities. Yeah, and, and that's another. Well, I'm getting off on a side tangent there. No, you're not, because this is one well, you asked me before we yeah. started this recorded conversation, which I'm delighted to have finally, yeah. folks, met uh, Leslie Tate, Tracy, uh, Tom, Casey, Tracy, Casey. Uh, right say you've got to meet leslie and now yeah. 20 minutes into our conversation i know why because you have uh a wonderfully uh pointed but but broad curiosity it's pointed at people in organizations and it started in our conversation by saying you saw an awful lot of unhappy miserable people early yeah. in your day and that bothered you you know you're interested in human uh the human condition, if you will, and and why do we have inhuman organizations? So that's a big cause, and it and it certainly hasn't gone away. But I think you're giving us some hope that you can think creatively. Now let's look at the point though of senior leadership, which is where 
Tom in particular in his conversations has been focusing the whole notion of who's leaving, who's staying. Mm -hmm. And the challenges of getting through the pandemic certainly created a bit of a weed out of people who were in their 50s, 60s, making, you know, decent money and and essentially running companies uh, who said, no. I uh, now I've seen <laughs> I've seen the light. I've been I've been working from home too, even though you know I'm in the corner mm-hmm. office. But I'm working at home, and I realize, hey, I've got grandkids. I, the dog loves me now, you know. <laughs> and so their their inner uh, way of speaking to themselves was giving them a, a real talking to and saying, "Do you really want to go back in that buzzsaw? Get everyone back in the same roof, commuting these impossible commutes." to come together and then bring them into a conference room and have meetings. <laughs> and I was like, I don't think so. Yeah. Zoom, Zoom, you probably started to, it freed up a lot of people and actually made them look a lot more real as human beings because you barely ever saw the big guy. If you're on the elevator with them, you know, there's the elevator speech, right? But otherwise he's on his way up to the top floor and you're going out you know, to grab a sandwich. Right. You got me going here. Jeez, no, this, yes, this is no, supposed to be uh, getting to know you, and I'm giving you all my blah, blah, no, blah. That whole remote work thing is a whole nother. Yeah. There's no one answer. And and so this is what I've learned. Gen Z really wants to be mentored. They kind of, they really want to get in the office. And I, in fact, I have a granddaughter. She lasted six months remote, didn't know anybody, died inside a thousand times and just quit. Yeah. And that, that's being repeated all over the place. So then there's a whole piece of what's expected of top leadership and middle managers with a remote workforce. And that's that's a lot of micromanagement. That's a lot of care. That's a lot of involvement, particularly if you have like a young professional. And if you don't do that, and they do, stories are abound. They leave without even meeting anybody, and nobody cares about them. It's it's a real amazing. So that's the worst case scenario. No, it's other, true though. I, yeah, I, I, it's I, happening. I have another story. Somebody right out of school, bright, wonderful person, and she went to um, some healthcare organization. I think it was in Atlanta somewhere. Mm-hmm. And and the first two weeks, they put her in a room. And said, here, we've got a lot of training for you. And it was all computer-based training. And after a week, she was so depressed. And she, she, she again, was dying inside. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then she left. And I thought, who's, whose idea was that? You've got a young person <laughs> in an office. And, and I've seen that, too. How many times? It's like, oh, yeah, you're starting today. Nobody's ready for the person. Have you ever seen that whole... That no one, oh, yeah, we didn't know you were coming in today. And there's yeah, no inspiration. Yeah. And I mean, that has all got to stop. I mean, yes. people want to feel important to the point, you know, welcome. So, so that, yeah, so then you've got that remote world piece there. Then you've got millennials that are starting to have families and like, oh, this isn't bad at all. I like being home. And then you've got Gen X. Okay, I like going to my summer house and. I never get to go to my summer house in the month of February or whatever. And then you've got boomers and then you've got that conflict. Wait a minute. I got to see everybody. So I hear stories where our 
they're insisting people go back, and I think the federal government just did. Yeah. And somebody said to me, yeah, my son sits there on Zoom calls in the office. So it's a mess. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh yeah and in uh and you've watched uh, you know, the development of office technology and so forth over the decades and the 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 dream back in the 80s was that we would have uh, this opportunity to be remote be there you know have and that was quite a compelling image uh we didn't we were forced into it by by the shutdown uh so it certainly shook some things up in colleges where it was my home base for all those years. But now we're in a in an opening period again. You know, uh, Hartford, Connecticut, it's down the road from me, mm-hmm. had close to full office occupancy in 2019. In fact, they were adding offices, you know, renovating and, and building. Yeah. Now it's... Last thing I read was something like 40% return. So now you've got these extraordinary expensive pieces of real estate, you know, 60% unoccupied. What do you do with it? Now, that's, I would say, that's where I start the side hustle thing. I'd say to everyone who's there, the 40%. And by the way, while you're here, uh, I'm going to give you a second place to go in this building. It's a. It's going to be an incubator, an idea incubator. It's going to be a place where you can shake off the dust of your day if you're running accounts all day long, and you can go upstairs and in and you can really play play with your mind. Don't just go up there to work on a, a tread treadmill. So we get all this on. Our, what are they actually doing? They're trying to get rid of the space. It's sad because that's an opportunity. Now, the other good part, though, and maybe you've been seeing this, is they're also saying, to your earliest point, wait a minute. What if we're if we're asking people to come back a rough commute, pay seventy bucks a, a week parking and all the rest? What kind of work experience are we giving them that is so damn attractive? Right. <laughs> so they started looking around and saying, well, maybe we better spruce up the place. Maybe we better uh, provide some other work. We work kind of uh, conveniences that we work has discovered. And maybe we got to stop being XYZ corporations, same old, same old. Yeah. And that's happening in some places, right? Yeah, I hope it. so. Yeah. <laughs> for for yeah, the sake of Gen it. Z and for their. Having yeah. enough people to run a company, I sure hope so. The other thing I've read is satellite offices. Mm-hmm. So you've got the big, you know, main office in the city, but why, why wouldn't, like, I'm in the Boston area. You can have satellite offices that at least get people together. I also talked to somebody who said they're very remote, but her company, it's an IT company, paying a lot of money to get a global team together every quarter hmm. so that maybe or three times a year face to face yeah face to face which is is needed you absolutely know, where you build those relationships and trust and mm-hmm. oh yeah i remember we did this and blah 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 so that to me i thought was a pretty interesting yeah, solution just- and they pull out all the stops i mean they make it mm-hmm. a really um you know High-end experience and lots of networking. So that's that's another. There are a lot of solutions. 
it seems that in as I'm watching my clock, and I, we're going to do this again because I'm learning so much with you. And uh, uh, but I, it seems to me though that uh, that that they've uncovered the hidden question of humanity <laughs> because of these changes, and they're opening it up and they're going. Human beings need to have face to face. Mm-hmm. Human beings need um, coaching and mentoring, no matter where they are in their hierarchy of experiences, because at every level they're going to be doing something that they've never done before. And they need to have access to people who say, yeah, I've done that, or let's figure that out together. They, they're they going to need humans, need humans, need humans. Absolutely. And uh, that's, to me, the formula for how any kind of organization can stay in business. Uh, they've, they've got to open further open up that discovery. Now, last point, though, and it's probably one that creates a dozen more conversations. Just as we're starting to say that we really need uh, the value of human interaction and human thought, we have chatbot coming along, oh. which which can <laughs> which can mimic a human being in at least in the way they write. And even now in creative senses, they've got chat boxes that write songs and everything. Now, this is the bad news and the good news. Uh, I I think it's great news for those of us who say, okay, now we've got some real competition here. How do you get that humanity out there more so someone can understand? Oh, that's Chatbox and that's Dave. <laughs> that's Chatbox okay. and that's Leslie. And mm-hmm. and so Dave and Leslie need to be more creative in our way of expressing things. But I think that bottom line is, and I hate that word, the gist of it is that Chatbox has no heart and soul, and we do. (laughs) That's it. Yeah. So what's your thought? (laughs) My thought is, since I've done change management, right, Mm -hmm. people people stuff, and um, getting people engaged and getting them involved and getting them on board and getting the honest, you know, yeah, there's a downside, there's a positive, you're going to lose, you're going to win. Mm-hmm. They've always tried to automate that. And I've always thought, there's no way. <laughs> and so all the excitement about AI and chat, I mean, no, it, it, can't poss- it can't possibly be the answer. Or what I just said about the young woman that was supposed to spend two weeks with computer-based training. Yeah. Her soul died. <laughs> she just couldn't yeah. Sit there alone in a room. So yeah. So I think I think it's all to some extent been overplayed. There's some wonderful pieces to technology, but it is not going to replace human beings. Mm-hmm. Look at kids, you know, even with um again, computer-based training, even the Zoom experience. Some people did okay with it. Other people, again, they just my daughter's in education. She said they they couldn't sit there, they couldn't do it. And that has that whole um, automated piece in there. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but we keep trying to solve, we keep trying to solve everything with technology. And I, I'm almost like, what are we trying to do? I don't get it. And that might be my own limitation, but what are we really trying to do? I, I mean, nobody gets to work. Okay, then what? <laughs> and they talked about, you know, the impact on lawyers and doctors and, do I want to have an automated kind of 
um, response to my situation. I'm not sure I want that. So I'm old fashioned that way. Well, my cynical answer is why do they do it? It's because they think it'll save money. And it's such a fallacy. Such right. a fallacy. You, you know, I saw it when my wife was working in insurance when we first came back to Connecticut in the mid 80s. And so she was very effective, you know, helping customers and doing all kinds of stuff. And then they decided they were going to bring in a software solution. Solution. They spent millions and millions, and they would interview her and others who doing the work say, well, what do you do? And then they, you know, try to plug that into the, this knowledge management system. It, it costs so much money. Unbelievable for the time. And I'm sitting here teaching management and I'm seeing what she's living in. I'm thinking, this is going to crash. Yeah, yeah. it did. And uh, th they swept out those offices. They sold a small insurance company to a, a much bigger company, which had even less soul. And she, I said, I don't want you to go to work for them. You know, you had at least you could see the senior officers on the elevator. Mm -hmm. This one who knows where they, I think they're in Holland. So that was the transition we saw. It was, and, and, and they were getting stock market approval because they were reducing the workforce. Yeah. That sound familiar? Great. Yeah. They're saving money. They didn't, they spent a hundred million dollars to save a few hundred thousand dollars a year in, in, in people's pay and benefits. And um, so, Wow. Leslie, yeah. let's keep trying to answer that question. <laughs> why Why do they do it and what can be done about it? And uh, yeah. I think that if anyone listens to us, they're going to at least be thinking now. There are uh, Gen Z people coming in the workforce now. There are middle life people who are somewhat crunched in the middle management. And there are some senior people who are saying life's too short. And the people we want to be leading these companies need to say, this is a good place for my life to be leading this company or leading this division. And I'm going to really give it a balanced approach now. I learned one thing, I've got to be home more and I've got to be off my phone, but I'm still going to lead this company. Now, if we see those kinds of realizations, uh, we may have some uh, some good things ahead. No, I like that. Right. It's interesting because it hasn't been solved. We've been talking, you know, I think about um, checking the box. You know, you've got, you've got the, the vision and the mission and we value people and all those posters that are put all over the place. Oh, yeah. Diversity. And, uh, you know, I've had enough experience with all those situations and somebody checked a box, but nobody's living it. And, <laughs> and it's, it's like, like, really? And and that's another thing. Gen Z does not like to have the wool pulled over. They're very pragmatic. You know, you better do what you say you're going to do. So that's that's a whole other conflict area because so many companies don't. They they check a box and they say we're good, we're wonderful, but they really aren't in a lot of human ways. Oh, I I keep saying, David, you got to make this short but i have to tell you that um what's been on my mind a lot i um joining some colleagues uh in the management education colleagues uh in a uh, symposium in a in 
in a few months. And uh, they want to talk about Jedi, which is justice and equality and diversity and inclusion. Mm-hmm. And so they, they're very smart people and they've got all these models and theories and stuff and they want to shake them out. And they said, well, I'm studying practice. So I said, well, what, what they said, what do you want to talk about, Dave? I, I said, I want to talk about practice. And here's what it comes down to. All of those wonderful, in quotes, floating thoughts go nowhere until a person puts any aspect of that in practice every day in their lives. So if you want justice to rule, then they've got to be touching points in their decision-making where justice is a matter of concern and so on and so forth. It's got to get to the point where people are doing what they do more thoughtfully because, of course, they've been exposed to the why. And so that's where I'm going to be. I'm going to frustrate the hell out of of these other guys because I'm just going to say, let me tell you a story about someone (laughs) who... That's culture. They haven't got it there yet. It it is definitely culture. And and that's another piece. Culture can really be changed. Culture can become integrated. Mm -hmm. And it takes work and dedication. And it could could have a revolutionizing effect on a company. And you have to clean house, too. Some people won't go along with it. That's another piece. Culture. Overused word. Mm. Um, again, well, it it has its power, and it basically is what's allowed and what's disallowed. Right, and who are we? Exactly, and if it's allowed because I'm a, a really worthy human being and uh, I'm trusted, and I can put out some really good results for this organization, and things are allowed, then it's okay. If 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 things that you're doing destructively and being toxic and all those other things are not disallowed in in every possible way, particularly at the line of behavior, then those people are going to say, I, I can't stay here anymore, the good people. And it is good and bad. There are a lot of ways that culture allows bad behavior at the shop floor or, the, or out at the counter, wherever. And it really comes down to an individual being strong enough to say, no, I don't think this is right. Let's get two or three people to agree with me. Let's change the culture. Right. And let's work on the culture. Like you said, every conversation, everything has to be integrated with those values. Every bit. Hey, I found someone who agrees with me. Thank you, Leslie. <laughs> Leslie Tracy, this has been a lot of fun. And it has been. Let's let's be sure to get together again. We don't have to turn it into another podcast episode, but let's now that we've met, uh, let's yeah. stay in touch. Well, thank you so much. I really enjoyed this conversation. Good. Okay. Thank you again. Thank you. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to the Practice Podcast, where we discuss practice with a capital P. If you'd like to hear more, listen in on Spotify, Automatic, and Apple Podcasts, or go to inactionresearch.com slash podcast dash page. And if you'd like to learn more about social inaction and the nature of practice, head over to inactionresearch.com for more information. Thank you for supporting this show.
We look forward to hearing from you soon. Oh, oh, how could I have forgotten? Our digital book, On Practice as a Way of Being, is now available. You'll find it online at www.mylibrary.world. I worked on that book after Peter passed away, and I think you will find it a unique and very, very mobile reading experience, since it's wherever your screen is in hand or at hand.